Welcome to Crest in partnership with Elusive. Producer Dodd here with a few bits of Welsh surf news before we go to the main feature. Firstly, we're wishing last month's guest, Patrick Langdon Dark, the best of fortune as he takes to the Indian Ocean to compete in the WSL Challenger Series event number three, the Bolito Pro. If you're picking this up on the day of release, it may even be happening today. Yep, you heard me right. As we speculated about last month, Pat has indeed now had the call-up for the second highest level of pro surfing possible on the planet. This is a massive deal for the sport in Wales and indeed Britain, and I for one can't wait to see a dry gork flying on a WSL broadcast and Pat shredding as we know he can. Secondly, I'm just going to take a moment to update you on the results of the Welsh Nationals, which ran smoothly on the weekend of the 11th and 12th of June. Another bit of Welsh surfing history was made, as it was the first time the event has been subject to a live webcast, which Team Crest were proud to run in collaboration with camera anchor Craig Nicholl. Thanks to everyone who gave feedback, or who tuned in to hear Tom, Rob, Diana, Callum, Vorney, and even Greg Owen doing their best to fill the airwaves as our surfers duked it out in the Lantwit lineup. Logan Nickel retained his men's title, again shoving Pat into second. All eyes on whether Logo Cop can do the coveted three-peat next year. Joe Dennison, meanwhile, was ripping on a return to competitive surfing after a break, and what a return, title number eight. Congrats to Logan and Joe. Elsewhere, you could see the grin on Welsh Coast Surf Club's Gary Lewis from miles away as he took two titles, the Grand Masters and the Grand Kahunas, which he now adds to his much-coveted mid-90s kneeboard title. I get the feeling one of these might mean a little more, mind. Meanwhile, after promising on this show that he was definitely 100% retired, James Jones took the Masters title ahead of a stacked final roster. George Bevan claimed the bodyboard title and our own part-time co-host Elliot Dudley the longboard crown. Not even Tom can confirm how many that is. Anyway, a great weekend for all and a definite blueprint to build on for next year as far as the webcast goes. Moving on to this month then, and I'm delighted to introduce our guest the founder of Bristol's game-changing aquatic pleasure park, The Wave. Listen on to hear Nick Hounsfield talk to Tom and Emily Williams on location from one of those brilliant glamping pods about how he imagined and then went about bringing the place into existence, as well as some surf philosophy and a bit of speculation about where the sport could be headed next. Thanks to The Wave for hosting, and I hope you all enjoy the chat. So welcome to Crest in partnership with Elusive. Nick, it's an honour to have you on. Good to see you. And uh, we're also welcoming back um, seven times Welsh champ, Emily Williams, who's going to be co-hosting this one with me. Hey, Ems. Hi, everyone. Uh, and Ems has a long-running relationship with this place now. In fact, could we technically call Nick your boss, Ems? Technically. <laughs> so, so You're the real boss. What, what's, uh, what's she like as an employee, Nick? Uh, any amusing tales of shirking or stealing a surf when no one's never, looking? Never. Oh. Just model citizen. Oh. <laughs> and now let's properly stir it up then. Uh, what's he like as a boss, Ems? Well, he's created this place and I love working here, so yeah, it must be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought we were going to get some fireworks there. <laughs> it's the only one, so. <laughs> okay, to business then. Nick carries what I reckon has to be the coolest moniker in surfing, Wave Maker. It's a blissful title which he generously bestows on any of the many characters who help run this place. And it's a very fitting title too. Yes, because what Nick is best known for is being the person who brought Surf Stoke to the inland flats of northern Bristol. Most of the surfing world remembers the first glimpses we had of the Wave Garden prototype deep in the Spanish Basque Country, a reading line of pocket book perfection. 
Then of course came the Snowdonia wave pool and a world first before the cove design took human wave ma made waves to another level altogether. One wave every 10 seconds, or less in fact, and being able to paddle back out across the shoulder yourself. The wave is undoubtedly a place that captures the essence of our sport, but with a surf report that you know is always going to pump. And just coming over here again today now, magical, go, you know, going in, in my, the, the, the offshore wind, which is actually onshore for the rest of the yeah. coast, pulling me over on my skateboard. <laughs> I stopped to take in the song of a skylark overhead. And the man who brought this place from inception to conception is our guest, Nick Hounsfield. I want to ask about the wave maker tag first. Uh, was it you who came up with it? Uh, yeah, it was actually. Yeah, um, it goes back a little bit to um, a book that I read, um, uh, The Power of One, which they talked about the, um, the Rainmaker. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I, loved, I loved the book. Um, actually, uh, was, was in the film, the, the proper film that was uh, made. Were you? Yeah, randomly. Yeah, okay. just, just as an extra. But oh, yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, and I always loved that, that film, and I always was inspired by the sort of the thought of the Rainmaker. And then so I was like, oh, I make waves. Could be the Wavemaker. <laughs> so I took that title a bit, and then I realised, well, this is... This is 100% teamwork. Uh, everybody who uh, works here should be a wave maker. So that's how nice. it all came about. And have you come to call it your home break now? Are you, are you, are you basically the top local? You're like the Alan Sarlo, the Jamie O, the, the Parker, the Fanny, <laughs> the Steph Gilmore of the point? Almost, yeah. I think there are some people who do surf here more than I do. Right. Uh, there's about, I think, two or three people that surf here even more than me. Yeah. But I do surf a lot here. Great. Uh, and. Um, I think, uh, Em, you were going to ask yeah. uh, Nick a little bit about your time that you've spent here as well. So you, like, you've obviously seen a lot of people surf here. Who for you has stood out and why? Apart from yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, who stood out? Uh, I'd have to say my kids, fundamentally. Uh, just being able to see this place and see my kids, the joy that that brings. Well, initially, the absolute terror it brought them really? when they first the very very first day when when we didn't really know how the whole place was sort of working and I sort of tried to get them into sort of advanced waves and we're like oh maybe maybe that was a bit too much but then them conquering their fears and then being able to surf with me that's been amazing there's obviously been some incredible people that have come through here um you know a lot of the sort of Red Bull team and, and like um uh, Igarashi and people like that um, but the bit that I really enjoy the most are staff surfs without a doubt staff surf being able to share the joy of it with all the other wave makers and also um, the adaptive team so we do a lot with the English adaptive team and uh, well, they just bring such a different vibe to the place it's brilliant, brilliant. it's really good really good I, I think I'd have to like, agree with that is you see great surfers and it's great to see them here and see how it can be surfed but the ones that really make me excited are those like the beginner lessons, the Waikiki lessons, where you have people that they don't think they're ever going to stand up, yeah. and you get them on one wave, and they're absolutely buzzing. And yeah. it's more that really? for me than seeing someone absolutely shred. It's great to see it, yeah. yeah. But the joy that you get from watching someone who never thought that they would surf yeah. is just yeah. ten times better. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sustainability very important to the the way that this place is run as well, isn't it? You you may hear listeners the the, the ruffling noises of the 
the wind on the canvas. Uh, is it canvas? You know, we're in one of the glamping pods here. Yep. Um, it's a beautiful campsite, you know, tall grass and everything. And you've held back from sort of festivals in the field or events with scaffolded grandstands. Uh, and, and, and like you said just then, you know, you're more interested in talking about you know, the adaptive surf team and the junior trainings that happen here than, you know, the sort of bringing Kanori Garashi in on a jet plane and that. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we set, set our stall out really, really early um, in terms of the way that we wanted to build this place, build the com company to start off with. So we take a really clear, what we call a triple bottom line philosophy on the whole company. So we, all of our decisions have to be balanced between the financial, the uh, social impact, and the environmental um, piece. So everything, the whole place goes through that lens of, of trying to think about how we do things um, in, I guess, not a slightly disruptive way, uh, an unconventional way. Don't always go to the, you know, the obvious things that might be the classic marketing hook for people to come here. Actually, it's more about building community. How can we, how can we break down barriers, get people in here who, for me, uh, you know, being able to see an adaptive surfer catch waves um, and other people being able to see them go and break down that barrier. Those people often come here and go, I can't surf. I will never go surfing. And then you see somebody who's paralyzed surfing. You go, okay, I've blown that, that excuse. I, I need to get in the water now. I love some of the adaptive surfing community on Instagram, you know, being a follower of Jesse Bilower for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, very long time. I remember, you know, his getting injured. You know, when it happened back in the in the mid to late nineties. You know, mm. and I remember him as a, as a deadly shortboarder just before that. Mm. And also recently, did, have you come across Liv Stone, as she called them, the, 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 the American girl who uh, really, you know, and I agree with you completely, Nick. You know, just watching, you know, some of the surfing that she does. And once she's up on her feet you know absolutely brilliant surfer and i yep. suppose that's one of the things here is that some of those limitations that might be placed on an adaptive surfer in mm -hmm. terms of like getting a wave count out of a big crowd or in a big ocean going rip you know you can yep. you guys can get them on their feet here can't yep. you and really explore their surfing potential yeah just break down those barriers and again it's not you know, not not even purely adaptive but also other people who've got you know other other reasons why they can't use the place it might be cultural reasons it might yeah. be you know being able to build a community of you know more women particularly you know because we know that you know down you know the surf, the surf industry is still very peppered with you know male white men uh so <laughs> something the point can, breaks <laughs> yeah we are so you know the ability to to use this place and to actually democratize the waves to some degree is is yeah it's, it's exciting and, and you care a lot about the future of the sport in Britain. I saw you uh, passionately join in an online debate with some big characters from the Southwest industry. Um, and, 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 you know, and you've been involved in governing bodies now. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 before my time, before starting surfing, I was involved in governing bodies uh, in the healthcare industry. Right. Uh, really passionate about that and actually brought some of that learning through to the surf industry. Um, and fundamentally, you know, there's there's a lot of, egos and logos around the place and it's just like let's let's break this down it's like fundamentally let's have a really clear ambition as you know as an industry and let's strive to work together with it rather than constant infighting and yeah various um yeah uh, as i say egos around the place let's just work together you use the word industry there do you see your role as acting you know within or on behalf of the surf industry or with or you know or within surf governance or sort of uh, the gap. Uh, for me, I think I just 
feel particularly having built this place that it's more of a responsibility to be able to put something back into um, surfing, surfing as a sport, surfing as a pastime, make sure we do it responsibly um, so that we don't bastardize the sport in any way, but also be able to make sure that uh, the real the real progressive side of what we can deliver here mm. is, is also achieved um, and build that grassroots foundation and do it properly. Yeah, and it, it was actually in a governing body meeting where I first met you. Was that it was. a little hotel yeah. only a mile or two down the road from yeah, here? It was, it was, yeah, uh, exactly. was it Surfing GB? Surfing GB back at the day. So yeah, I was up there with Stuart Bentley, I can't remember why, but it was. Uh, yeah. I saw the, the presentation for like, yeah. and I remember thinking like, I'd be amazing if that happens, but good luck boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then here we are. <laughs> So when, when and how did you actually get the idea of, of making the wave? So right back at the beginning, um, so I was, uh, as I say, I was, I've been a passionate surfer, been surfing for now 45 years, um, still pretty rubbish, but still love it. Um, and, uh, but my, my background was in healthcare. And so this was um, a real response actually after my dad died. It was a, it was a, a promise to him on, on his deathbed uh, to build something that would really impact people's health and well-being, so it's very, very much more health and well-being based, uh, and was trying to think about how we could create an incredible destination for people to get outside, uh, talk about, um, or talk to each other first of all, break down the, some of those perceived barriers or actual barriers as well, talk about um, sustainability, talk about you know how important being outdoors, exercising, being in nature, all those things, and then. Um, yeah, one day just saw that grainy video of Wave Garden. Uh, well, it, was the, it was the day it was released. And that was like a real eureka moment. I was like, oh, if we put that in the center of this beautiful space, um, I know that surfing could be an amazing marketing hook to also bring people together. Cause it's kind of cool, good, good, you know, vibe lifestyle, but also brings a lot of positive energy to the place so, and, and would be a real, um, a real hook for people to come in. And just slowly that, that, that idea snowballed and yeah, got, you know, got in contact with Wave Garden and after probably about 500 emails, eventually got a, an email back and said, right, let's hook up, let's yeah, see if we can make this happen. Your early surfing life then, where, where, were you, where did you do your sort of growing up surfing? So, yeah, so um, in the summertime it was down at Portreath, uh, down in Cornwall, and then my, my grandma lived right down in the south coast uh, near sort of Brighton, Littlehampton area, so just uh, learning to surf and body surf just down in, uh, off, the, off the groins there. Um, did you grow up in land a little bit then? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just sort of down, sort of more Surrey-based right. around there. Yeah. yeah, that often makes people sort of really keen for life you know? yeah exactly so yeah. you couldn't wait to sort of get old enough to fly the nest yeah and exactly be a, yeah be more than just a holiday yeah. Then, yeah as soon as i could i came down to bristol worked from here because i then was able to get to yeah south wales and mm. uh in and uh um and devon and yeah the rest is history mm. How, how did you start surfing? Was it your dad? Yeah, my dad. Yeah, um, my dad had, had a pretty cool little. He was probably one of the the first um, boards. It was right back in the sort of uh, late sixties. Uh, had someone got got some funny little pop up thing, uh, pop out thing. Um, it, I, I remember. I've got a lo lovely photo of it still. Uh, it's a beautiful. Uh, pintail it's completely inappropriate it was something that was perfect for Hawaii not where where he, where we were going uh, it's like a twinny but with a pintail um, 
beautiful green with a uh, couple of stripes in it. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the, that's the first um, thing that I yeah, rode on. It's great. And uh, before, so you said you, you worked in healthcare. Have you turned your back on that now completely then? So, so, so is this now your, your, you know, what takes up all your time? Or are you still involved in... So I don't practice anymore. I don't treat patients anymore. But I, I think honestly, this is this is healthcare. This is real healthcare. Yeah. It re really is. It's like we talk a lot about blue health, and actually the bringing bringing the power of the ocean, all those great positive things that come from ocean and being outdoors and in nature. So I I think I still work in healthcare. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and and how often do you surf the ocean as well? I wonder. Not enough. That. Not <laughs> enough. Uh, so we still go down to Cornwall quite a bit in the summertime uh yeah we do we do i've got a little caravan down there and we go as, as often as we can mm. um but obviously less so you know jumping in a car not just cost and pollution but knowing that this is just down the road mm. and I could, yeah, it absolutely gives me that fix mm. so actually and i still i still feel that there's there's enough here in terms of that peaceful tranquil moments in between those spaces in between you still get that here actually even even on busy days um because that's the the sort of other side that yin and yang of going to the, the sea is sometimes wanting to be quite peaceful and be quite quiet um but i still get that here which is kind of cool did the ocean ever give you any ideas like on the contours of the bottom of the lake and that sort of thing on, on when you were designing it like how how did you go about designing it you, I've seen the when I had my induction day you kind of talked through and I remember you showing photos like this was kind of your idea mm -hmm. was it with wave garden that you guys talked a lot about how you were going to build it kind of the shape the bottom that sort of thing um that that was 100% wave garden you know wave garden are, are the engineers they you know they they set up the literally tiny little test tank where they would start uh if you go if you ever go there they've still got it there where they literally layer up um uh, bits of wood and just build, literally build reefs it's like the perfect little little wave pool and they just build it build it build it and then make the waves like run perfectly and they're like right that works let's model it um, through clever technology and then let's let's build it up and do a bigger scale and bigger scale and bigger scale and just kept doing it that way so they 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 came to us with the preset like within three mil tolerance this has to be absolute perfect straight straight edge of uh, of a reef like you would down at the, down at the beach um and that was then down to the engineers to then build it exactly in that tolerance yeah what was it like trying to show that stuff to to architects and you know the the, the <laughs> it's just the, mind blowing. The council building inspector and yeah stuff like i know did, did yeah you need one that surfed and uh, well it anybody who was uh, involved in this project always helps if they surf um yeah. because then you get people fully, fully engaged in wanting to like, this has got to work. Yeah. This is not gonna not work because actually I can personally get benefit from it as yeah. well as, yeah, knowing the, the bigger picture. And did you have to have like, you know, oh, today the building inspectors come in, you know, and he's, yeah, and he's like checking that you've stuck to the, right, yeah, you know, exactly. to, to that bit of sandbar by there. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, bit, that bit's fine. Um, or she, know. she could be a, sorry, I said he for the building inspector. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, that you know, basically, you know, w w when you get these things done through planning, is actually there's given that um, that that template of the area, you, you you don't they don't get that involved in that bit. It's, it. it's, yeah, it's ma it's mainly the sort of uh, the buildings and stuff like that. And can I ask about the the Basque Country place then? Like, what what's what's that place like? Because we only you know, 
we mortals only see it sort of on the telly, but you know, you've actually been to you know yeah. to Middle Earth, there, haven't you, or the yeah, Shire, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it feels is, like is it. it. Far away from that, you know, that big horrible motorway that tears through all those Pyrenean tunnels, and you know, it's not too far away from that, but it is the most beautiful little little valley where where it's nestled in there, um, and it's it, it's quite small, um, you know. But back in the day, it felt really really big, particularly in the original technology, which was more lozenge shaped sort of ran right across the it's basically uh, a big meander so it ran straight across that and it was just just completely mind-blowing and then uh later because obviously it, the cove is is slightly weirder shaped uh it, it only has just one side of it so there's never a, a left-hander there's always a right-hander um oh, so okay. if you look at all of the photos they're yeah. all right-handers uh and and actually a lot a lot of the um wave garden guys there they're goofy and they're like oh we've never ever surfed you know you know on our forehand it's like wow. unbelievable and yeah for, for ages we were just taking the mick out of them it's like we've got the best left hander ever <laughs> <laughs> is it on is the the cove prototype then did they just fill the the version 1.0 in and stick it on the same spot or is there no one? it was the, the two were there together for a while and then when they realized that you know the cove was the future really um that slowly they've they've sort of uh, um taken that away but they're proper geniuses and the guys yeah they're brilliant they're brilliant yeah they're absolute perfectionists uh and they bask yeah best Basque country guys uh yeah um two brothers that sort of set it all up uh and uh, one's an engineer one's more sort of business guy uh with karin who's from a marketing background they set the whole thing up and yeah i mean it, what what they've created is is incredible yeah mm. There's obviously lots of wave pools now. You've got the Cable Park in Texas, the Surf Lake Projects, the Kelly Slater Wave Pool. Mm -hmm. But this is by far the most accessible for the public, and we, you know, we touched on that earlier. What do you think is the key part of this making it that accessible? Um, I mean, being able to do. I mean, there's there's two different ways that that you can look at this. First of all, if you look at purely um, the way the lake is made, uh, it's about having. Um, waves for mixed abilities really you know we can go right up to well we, we've got settings that we've not even pushed yet um, but you can go right from elite level right down to absolute grassroots so you know we do play in the bay with two three-year-olds with like tiny bit of white water and that's enough to get them just splashing around and everybody in between and then the second bit is about making sure um, price point uh, making sure that it's accessible from that point of view because again we've always said um, we set out if this becomes just a middle-class playground then actually we've just completely failed so that comes you know that that's quite sensitive because a lot of the other wave pools are really expensive to go to um, and also we have like various social impact stuff going on to make sure this is accessible for people who you know barely could afford like one quid so really that mixed range uh, and then obviously design the place to make sure it's accessible for wheelchair users and um, uh, people who you know got adaptive needs and then culturally making sure it's important you know is important so we, we've just done a, a thing yesterday with Finisterre like the sea suit project which is about trying to make sure that people who've got um, modesty issues or cultural barriers that they have to wear hijabs or whatever it might be um, make sure they've got proper covering so that they can get in the water like anybody else and not feel um, uh, overexposed you're talking about price in there. Um, is is the the expensive price of some of those other wave pools around the world? To, you know, because of the running costs, or is it like? Uh, um, 
or or is there a bit of profiteering going on? I mean, I've wondered with that KS ranch, if it's like nearly the same design as the pool in Surf Snowdonia, right? Yeah. Yes, like, I don't understand why they're charging like. Fifteen hundred quid, or you know, for a yeah. wave, or whatever it is. Apparently, they charge. Yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an occupancy issue. You know, in in this place, we can get like 70, 77 people in the water at any one time. So of course, wow. you're you're sharing that cost uh, to to yeah. to uh, create the waves. Whereas if you go to you know um, Surf Ranch, you know, you'll have maybe five people in the water at any one time. And if they're good surfers, then actually. Uh, there's only one person on the wave at any single time. Because they won't get a, a scrap off it. Exactly. Have, so, you, have you been to Surf Ranch? I've been there, yeah. I've not surfed it, but I've been there for a couple of the competitions there. Which And it's amazing. It's the most incredible wave, without a doubt. Um, but it, from a commercial point of view, the reason it's it's got high running cost, without a doubt. Um, there's, n there's a low occupancy, and therefore the price has to go up, without yeah. a doubt. My, my dad lives um, not far from Surf Ranch, he lives just down from San Luis Obispo. Mm -hmm. And he went to one of the events there and he said, one of the things that you don't get from seeing Surf Ranch on TV is the size of the place. So That's he said, nice. it's like when you're, when you're at one end, you know, like it's like further away than, you know, the gods of Wembley Stadium would be from the yeah, it's crazy or something, you know, yeah. you, can, you can't really, you know, you're looking at the screen rather than the Yeah, surfing. 100%, 100%, yeah, the scale is incredible. Um, and it's it's really cool to go there and to look at it, but I think, yeah, it's just not for us in terms of developing, yeah, a business out of it, um, something that is accessible for everyone. Because yeah. I've always thought with wave pools, like that, I've never, and the, you know, sorry, we're 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 proper ragging on Surf Ranch here now, you know, but like, <laughs> they hold the contest there. Okay, fine, you know, I'll always watch, I'll always watch Felipe Toledo go against Gabe Medina or Caroline Marks against Carissa Moore, you know, when there's yep. world titles on the line or something, you know, yep. they, you can put them in anywhere. But my personal level of interest in like, oh look, you know, Gabriel Medina has got barreled for 25 seconds. Yeah. In a skate in a surf park, you're never going to go to. Do you want to watch it? I'm a bit like, no, like like. I want yeah. to see him get barreled on a wave in pipe that I'm never going to paddle into because that's an incredible yeah. human feat. But yeah. like he's got barreled on this man-made wave for a long time that you're never going to sit. I don't have that. And that, as a sort of member of the surfing public, my interest in wave pools has always been, right, well, you know, am I ever going to get to realistically surf, you know, a wave like that? You know, mm -hmm. can, can I one day pay the sort of amount I'd pay for a good fun afternoon out and get blown out of a barrel somewhere, you yep. know? And, um, and I, I, would you say the same, Mems? I think it's quite interesting that, like, as a competitor, because I've done a few comps in, in Wavefalls now, in Snowdonia, and I've did, like, a uni one here and stuff, that it feels so different to the sea. I feel like there's almost more pressure. Mm -hmm. There's that, like, especially Snowdonia when it's that one wave, which I'm guessing is quite similar to the surf ranch, mm -hmm. yeah. that there's so much more pressure. Everyone's watching you. You... You've got that one chance, whereas in the sea, you don't really think about those. As a competitor, I feel like even though you're looking at it and you're, yeah. you, it's like the public are saying, oh, it's a perfect wave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you've still got to surf that wave and you've got to deal with the pressure to mm -hmm. surf that wave. I mm -hmm. think it's quite it's quite interesting. Yeah. See, I can see like from both sides. Mm. It's true, isn't it? Because late in a heat, when you know you need a wave and you're in the ocean, you're so, you're chill because you're just like, well, the ocean's either you're going to give it to me or not. Yeah. And then, when you you know when you paddle it on the few seldom times when I've got this dance right myself, you know when you paddle it into that wave in the dying seconds of a heat, you maybe even hearing the horn as you stand up or something, 
you almost do feel as if like right the ocean gave me this wave so now the surfing it well bit is like that's my part of yeah you know nature's dance here isn't it so yeah it's true i hadn't really thought about it that way mm. i have on my birthday here though actually i did get uh, i was the last the, the the last wave of the set was on the guy before me and i was the only person left out <laughs> and then they said we're gonna send you another one now and then all my mates we booked the whole half of the pool out and all my mates were stood on the on the shoreline and they were like oh birthday boys having the last wave now and, and then i was proper like yeah and, and i uh, i think i did surf like that one like that one like a bit of a tool um, are, there, are there sort of um for you know down the line yeah it's inevitable isn't it that um, there will be further designs and further developments in wave pool technology. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you thought about, you know, that and sort of what what happens when 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 that stuff happens? You know, will 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 this place one day see another another pool alongside it with a new piece of technology that we've never ever ever thought of doing? You know, or, or you know, or or do you think it's like? You know what we've got here now. You know this is this is because I suppose you know it's a lot of the surfers who are here today. They're never going to want anything more than what's here yeah, now, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a really good point. That I mean, I guess over time maybe the level of surfers will will well they should gradually improve, and therefore I think that the upgrade that we can do is different waves. Um, you know, being able to yeah. faster waves, bigger waves. Um, there's we're working on something where we can create ramp sections so that we can do airs and stuff like that. And I think that that's, I think that that will be the limit in terms of the limit of people, what, what people need. If they want something bigger than that, mm. is this ever, are we ever going to make, you know, um, three meter, four meter high waves here? No, definitely not because the power consumption and, you know, just because you could, it doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Um, so, and that, and this suits us and the suits the vision that always was yeah. about trying to bring people up to a certain level and we can keep pushing that level a bit more um, but I think this for me will yeah. will 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 stand the test of time the challenge with those more dangerous modes as well is finding enough surfers to yeah to put in them isn't it you could definitely. you know if you could make the box here you know you're not going to find enough people yeah, to, exactly. to, to to fund the box are you, you yeah know? and yeah. and 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 this is you know this is also you know um we've got responsibility to make sure this is safe as well yeah um so you know we don't want people to be just slamming into the reef you know dry reef that why i mean you can do that you can do that yeah. at the ocean if you really, really want to. Um, but here, uh, people don't really need to see that. You mentioned ramp mm-hmm. ideas then. Is that is that here then that they... The, yeah, we'll be able to do it here um, fairly really? soon. But um, yeah, it's something that Wave Garden have been sort of working on. So that, so they know, they so the bottom contours stay where they are. It would just be in the way that they send. I'm yeah. doing all gestures with my hand, which is yeah, what we'll be able to see. Yeah. <laughs> in the way that... Um, that we're, you know, in the sort of they, angles or yeah. directions it's they've, they've, they, Yeah, they've, they've tried different different ways of doing it and there are three or four different ways, but I think, I only caught up with them last week and I think that they've they've hit the nail on the head. But let, let's, proof oh, is wow. in the pudding. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll tell you about it a bit more soon. So we're gonna have, soon. we're gonna have Sky Brown doing a, doing a Maybe. rodeo flip here one day or something. <laughs> <laughs> or Emily Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Or Llewellyn Williams. Yeah, there we go. 
So what is next? Obviously, there's the potential of the London. London yep. So London. So um, yeah, we're going gung ho with London now. So we've got a beautiful site in northeast London, uh, in Enfield, uh, and yeah, we're about to start the planning process for that. Um, and you know, ideally, within two three years, we'll have London developed, which will be amazing. It's probably going to be a little bit bigger than this in terms of lake shape and uh, and you know probably more modules and um, so slightly longer sort of ride times and stuff but um, yeah really exciting but again it's it's very much in this same the same vein in, of this place is like absolutely sort of um, you know socially and environmentally making sure that we're on point is is that a bit scary like you know you're talking about making a because this is a huge site you know, yeah and it, in London with the sort of you know the property for cost of land and all you know do, do you have you ever had a moment where you've sort of sat there thinking oh my goodness me if I you know if, if I build like this and people don't come <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like. no I think um, you know we've proven here that 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 well first of all there, there's a real appetite for this place and this is absolutely and you know untapped so obviously if, if, if we built this place purely for core surfers then there'll be a real limit and I think this is a real important part about this place is making sure that we can bring on people who maybe wouldn't even get into the water, create a safe yeah. environment for them to get into the water, then look at waves, then ride waves, uh, and then progress on that. And so really this, this whole place will only thrive if we absolutely get that much bigger um, grassroots model really, really good. So people come here, they feel safe, they feel you know, they've got great coaches, good equipment, feel like at any any time you can press the button and, and stop it uh, and fundamentally then you know I think we've got the responsibility to make sure that those people entering this amazing new sport do it in the right way so with respect respect for the ocean the real ocean uh, um, for each other for the environment around them then that's that that's the bit that really ticks my box are we are we within sight then of a of a sort of a, a sort of real life Rick Kane one day? You know, like some kid from London who's you know <laughs> learned to surf in, could, in, yeah, in a wave pool yeah. and, and and you know making their way down to yeah could be and we've 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 seen people really progress fast here. Yeah. I mean, even people who obviously live by the coast, people like um, you know, Lucas Skinner, for instance. You know, he comes here quite often, and Ben, his his um, his father, just said, look, whenever he comes here just completely goes up a complete level uh, we've seen it lots of times um, so again I think as long as we can keep feeding enough variety of waves to really make sure that um, they can progress then they will start to be able to have you know various you know, radio flips on pat you know dying seconds need to get a nine pointer and then he, they can just turn that on because they've just done it hundreds and hundreds of times wow. that that's that's the bit that I think that we got a real chance of, of progressing, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been here no, um, two years this summer, mm -hmm. and I've had people from that first summer, from beginner lessons, they're now working, they, they've worked up to advance, yeah. and they, they love it, and there, there really? is that progression, there's people that come, and I've had people that have come to a beginner lesson, they're like, not really sure if I'm gonna be into it, but I'll just give it a go, see how it goes, and yeah. they absolutely love it, they're hooked. And now they are, they've gone up through Waikiki Intermediate and now they're on the advance and it is like, it, that's so nice to see and they, they are because they feel safe here. Yeah. And they go in the sea occasionally, but they do like just come in here and build in their way up. Yeah, really. Just, yeah, they just love it. So and you it, can see it happening in yeah, yours? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's weird. We haven't even launched like all of our advanced coaching and stuff. So yeah. that, that's them just doing it 
and just emulating what they see in the water or maybe you know watch film you know videos and stuff but actually later when we can do proper advanced coaching then I think that that will really yeah. like lift the level because I mean you get a lot that go from the beginner lesson to the Waikiki lesson from the Waikiki lesson to the intermediate lesson and mm -hmm. they are now it's mm -hmm. just that advanced coaching that's going to add that extra bit for them that extra little step in the ladder yeah to build their way yeah. up but yeah. you can definitely see it I've noticed it I, I I gotta try that Waikiki mode at some point because I've watched it it's and really it's, like, I, I, it's bonkers I, I look at it and I watch the way it comes in and it and I've I've I mean I've mind surfed it a bit on like a, like a little twin fin or something. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. Has, do you know, has anyone tried? Have you guys tried it on a twenty or anything? I like that? have actually. A have while you? back, there was a staff that would push through. They were testing, making sure that every wave was okay to run. And we were out the back waiting for an intermediate session, and they pushed one through. And I did actually catch it on my normal shortboard. Oh, we did, I did wave. give it wow. a go, and I did manage to catch wow. it stand up. Yeah, yeah. But, Could you wiggle after that? A little bit, a little bit of a turn. But yeah. I think Waikiki actually is my favourite setting to teach on mm. because you get at that joy in the beginner bay, but then you get on Waikiki, they do their first ever turn, like proper turn. Because it's bowling. On a green wave <laughs> on that bowling section. Oh, yeah. And they are so stoked. And yeah. I think that that, that happen, is yeah. my favourite lesson to teach because it's just like you teach them that turn on the dry side and you can see them really thinking about it like, yeah, no, I'm not going to manage to do that. And then they get out there and they try it and they just try that turn and they get it nailed and they're just so excited yeah you talk last of all then you know you Ems was asking you about the future you mentioned at the beginning surfing with your kids mm -hmm. as a real pleasure for you mm. um is, is that sort of one of the things you you look forward to then you know in in, in life is, is is your kids surfing journey yeah i mean yeah but not in a not in a massively pressured way i mean my kids my kids fundamentally yeah. and it goes with everything that they do I just want them to enjoy it so um, sometimes with enjoyment obviously you get progress and they do really well on it but uh, I've, I've never ever put my own kids under any kind of pressure to, to do anything like this um, I just want them to enjoy it 100% um, and I think they do um, yeah I, I think the best surfs I've ever had have always been with dad like just me and dad surfing like being able to grow up and people ask me all the time oh you know how did you get into surfing when I'm when I'm teaching I'm like oh yeah my dad and it makes me realize how lucky I was to have that opportunity to surf with him all the time yeah. and he was the same like no pressure if I wanted to compete if I wanted to do that then yeah go for it but there was never any pressure and those are definitely the best moments I yeah. have surfing yeah. Yeah. have been with him surfing. yeah you and your dad are, are you are fun to surf with as a pair. I, I, <laughs> I can remember quite a few sessions at Atlanta in particular, seeing you know the two of you rock up. Yeah. Uh, is, is he in the water much nowadays? He's been getting in here. Yeah, I've seen him here. But he is getting in here quite a lot. Yeah. He's trying to get in a little bit more now. But oh, yeah. Cool. See you in the water soon then, Andy. <laughs> Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today on Crest in partnership with Elusive. And it's been great to celebrate what an inspiration to the British surfing community this uh, this vision of yours actually is. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's been been really nice having a chat with you and yeah, learning no. and yeah. Pleasure, absolute pleasure here. Thank you for me, yeah, being here. Cool. So, as you may have seen on last month's artwork and publicity, this is one of our new series of interviews called First Tuesdays. The ability of these monthly chats to get to the heart of our surfing communities is not only due to guests but also down to the listeners who've commented and fed back to us on the episodes and discussions we've had. So, a reminder of how to do this. 
You can email us at castcrest at gmail.com or you can comment on either of our Instagram or Twitter feeds. Our shows are available on YouTube as well as the main podcast apps, Apple, Spotify and Google. If you like what you hear, please do leave us a review to that effect. Crested in partnership with Elusive will be back for another feature discussion on the first Tuesday of August. Until then, we wish you a wave-filled July and hope a few sessions without any neoprene. Thanks again, Nick, for talking, and thanks to the listeners for listening. See you next time. Dilham Grandor, Agwalaki Tronessa. Bye. Yeah. Yeah.